Shalom Mishpokah. Rabbi Eric Carlson here from the Birthplace of America, here to share more on our Kadima Talks for skill sets and leadership. And it's exciting to have you listening in today as we continue to dissect what's necessary for successful leadership, not just in the body of Messiah, but in your family, in your workplace, wherever you're at, God has a plan and purpose for your life. So as we talk about some of these specific traits here, the first thing I want to lay into is a strong spiritual foundation. There has to be a clear understanding of who you're working for and what you're doing it for. And and I want to share, listen, we just passed our 20th anniversary as a congregation that Rabitz and my wife, Barb, and I started in May of 2000. But before we had our first Shabbat service, and, and this is what I'm talking about as a strong spiritual foundation. For two years before our first service, we had weekly intercessory prayer before we held one service, one special meeting before anything. You have to be in the word. There has to be a disciplined routine of being in the word, prayer, and in seeking the voice of the Lord. Our leadership style must express the nature and the character of the kingdom of God. This is foundational. We wouldn't be anywhere as a congregation had we not spent two years in prayer. And I know that seems like an extensive amount of time, but in eternity, it's meaningless. It's nothing. But it creates that atmosphere of intimacy with the Lord and knowing that you're with him and that you're doing his will. In Matthew 6, verses 5 through 13, it says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners so that people can see them. Yes, I tell you, they have their reward already. But you, when you pray, Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father in secret. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't babble on and on like the pagans who think God will hear them better if they talk a lot. Don't be like them because your father knows what you need before you ask him. You therefore pray like this, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And do not lead us into temptation, but keep us safe from the evil one. For yours is the power, the kingship, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So it's it's not difficult. We make things difficult. But if you clear out all the distractions and all the stuff that's coming at us every day through social media, through news, and wait upon the Lord to enter into that secret place you will hear his voice, and he will guide you and direct you. And that's critical for leadership skill sets is to have a strong spiritual foundation. First Timothy 4, verses 13 through 16, Shaul, Paul is sharing with Timothy, and he said, Until I come, pay attention to the public reading of the scriptures. Do not neglect your gift, which you were given through a prophecy, when the body of elders gave you shmecha, they laid on of hands, they ordained him to do this. In the temple, the scriptures were read out loud every day. So this is some great sage advice. He says, until I come, pay attention, listen to the public reading of the scriptures, and don't neglect your gifts, which were given through a prophecy when the body of elders gave you shmicha. Be diligent about this work, throw yourself into it, so that your progress may be clear to everyone. Pay attention to yourself and to the teaching, continue in it, for by doing so, you will deliver both yourself and those who hear you. And so this is a further continuance of that having a strong foundation, being in the word every day, prayer, 
fasting, seeking the face of God. Ephesians 6, Paul also wrote in verses 13 through 20, which is critical, because anything you do in life, the enemy is going to try to subvert and come at you and change this. Yeshua said specifically in John 16, you will have tribulation. You'll have Zerus in this world. But he said, rejoice for I have overcome the world. So we have to prepare for battle and be ready for all things. And that only comes through a solid spiritual foundation. In Ephesians 6, starting at verse 13, Paul said, so take up every piece of war equipment God provides. Now you catch that war equipment. So that means we're engaged in a war, a heavenly war of light versus dark. And whether you believe it or not, we're in it. The problem is some people are apathetic and complacent, and they don't believe we're at a spiritual war even now more than ever before in this nation. So we have to take up every piece of war equipment God provides so that when the evil day comes, you'll be able to resist, and when the battle is won, you will still be standing. Therefore, stand. Have the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Put on the righteousness for a breastplate. Wear on your feet the readiness that comes from the good news of shalom. Always carry the shield of trust with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of deliverance, salvation, along with a sword given by the spirit that is the word of God. And as you pray at all times, verse 18, with all kinds of prayers and requests in the spirit, in the Ruach, vigilantly and persistently for all God's people and pray for me too, that whenever I open my mouth, the words will be given to me to be bold in making known the secret of the good news for which I'm an ambassador in chains, pray that I may speak boldly the way I should. So even Paul is requesting, listen, he's telling us how to prepare. God provides all the implements. We just need to take them to use them, to employ them, get in the battle, get in the game. And also like Paul asked, pray for him as well. He said that he's in this warfare himself and that he would be bold in sharing the good news for which he's been in prison. He's an ambassador in chains. He said, that doesn't hinder me. Pray that I continue to speak boldly the way he should. That only comes through a strong spiritual foundation that you have to cultivate. You have to strive to do this. And that comes through discipline, integrity every day. Pray, be in the word, read, and seek the face of God. Coupled with this, we have to have a very clear vision. There must be a clear understanding of why you are doing what you're doing. You have to spiritual map where you're at and understand why you're in the location where you're at. Your regional history opens the doors to the future. Let me say that again. Your regional history opens the doors to the prophetic future. Why are you where you're at, and what's important with this? Jamestown, where I'm at here, we've shared this several times, it's just a few miles up the river, it's the birthplace of America. It's where three ships landed in May of 1607, and began the first permanent settlement in America. That set the DNA or the metric for the course and the destiny of this nation. So those early settlers built the fort. The east gate was the main gate. This gate faced Jerusalem. This is crazy, isn't it? And in this five to nine page prayer that they printed in 1611 called the Divine Morals Code and Law of the Colony of Virginia, you have to remember Virginia went from the 34th parallel, which is the Florida-Georgia line, all the way to Hudson Bay, from the East Coast to the Pacific Coast. This was all the colony of Virginia. And they prayed in the midst of this prayer that Jew and Gentile would be reconciled together as one, 
that the days of iniquity would come to an end and God's glory be revealed on all the earth. Now, that was prayed for over 90 years until the capital was moved to Williamsburg. So where we're at right here clearly defines not only the destiny of us as a Messianic congregation, but this prayer that was said by Anglican Christians who were supersessionists, they believed they had replaced Israel. This is That prayer is so supernatural. But to understand that that now is the DNA of this nation, it is our destiny. And that's what drives us here in this area because we research my good friend, Pastor Wade Trump, we call him the spiritual archaeologist, always at Jamestown as they're rediscovering the original church. They, re, they discovered Reverend Hunt's grave, who was the pastor that came with them when they landed here in these shores. It's like Abraham's wells being redug by Isaac. It's so critical to have a clear vision. And that vision answers the questions in the heart of every leader according to God's calling and destiny upon you. There can only be one vision. More than one vision is division and causes congregational splits, causes issues at work. There can only be one vision. And so every congregation, listen, I don't care who you are, every business, you should have a mission statement and a vision statement. A mission statement concerns what an organization is all about. A vision statement is what the organization wants to become. So it's got a prophetic vision to it, and it relays to everyone involved in it who you are, why you're doing it, and where you're going. A vision statement is what the organization wants to become. The mission statement answers the three key questions. What do we do? For whom do we do it? And what is the benefit? A vision statement, on the other hand, describes how the future will look if you achieve your mission. A mission statement gives the overall purpose of the organization, while a vision statement describes a picture of the preferred future of where we're going. Habakkuk 2, verses 2 and 3 says, Then Adonai answered me. He said, Write down the vision clearly on tablets so that even a runner can read it. For the vision is meant for its appointed time. It speaks of the end, and it does not lie. It may take a while, but wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So even us here as a congregation, Congregation Zion's sake is the congregation that I'm with here in Newport News. And what is our vision? Our vision statement is to share the good news of Messiah Yeshua to the Jewish people of Hampton Roads, Virginia. That's our vision. And how will we carry this out? The mission statement is we will reach the Jewish people through the love of Messiah by revealing the Jewish Messiah to them by bridging the gap between today's believer, their Jewish roots, and biblical heritage. In this, Gentiles will come into the prophetic destiny and maturity and provoke the Jewish people to jealousy, according to Romans 11, verse 14. Our heart scripture in this, we are congregation Zion's sake, and I often get asked, where does this come from? Isaiah 62, verse 1. For Zion's sake, I will not be silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her vindication shines out brightly and her salvation like a blazing torch. This is our heart scripture. This has been the drive and the impetus behind 20-plus years of ministry to not be silent for Zion's sake and to not rest for Jerusalem's sake until her vindication, her salvation shines like a blazing torch. Because when Israel gets saved, they're going to say, Baruch Hashem Adonai, and call Yeshua back. As we prophetically look forward in the coming seasons, I believe that through your growth and maturity in Messiah Yeshua, he will posture you to strategically stand in the gap of what's coming. If you're involved in Messianic ministry, you're on the leading edge, the frontier of what God is doing. 
There's no book, no video, nothing on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube to explain this or guide us. We're moving forward solely based upon God's commands, instructions. If you will, we're going back to the future. It's how it was in Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. There was no book guiding them. They were intimate with the Lord. They were unified. They were in one mind, one accord. The Holy Spirit fell upon them, and they moved with the fluidity of a single base unit, and they turned the world upside down. In 50 or 60 years, two-thirds of the known world were believers. That's how it was then. That's what we're moving to in the future. We must be in complete harmony and unity as we press forward. God is restoring loyalty, honor, integrity, and character to his kingdom, and he's restoring his word and power and truth. So you should be able to describe to yourself very clearly in one sentence what you're doing and why. This is, this is the necessity of having a clear vision. When you understand the purpose of what you're doing, it provides clear guidance and direction to everyone around you. That's how it is. Clear vision motivates others and provides them incentives as well. It gives them buy-in to your ministry, to your work, to your business. The Kehelet, the congregation, needs to know where they're going and why, because they will go on the journey with you if they understand what you're doing. Proverbs 29, verse 18 said, Without a prophetic vision, the people throw off all restraint or they perish. But he who keeps Torah is happy. Clear vision gives both us and the congregants purpose, direction, and buy-in. It gives them value. Everybody wants to feel they're part of something bigger than themselves, and this is what vision is. And the bigger the vision, the more it is of from God. Because if we can perform it, it's not of God. We can do it on our own ability. But when it's beyond us, that's how we know God is with us, and he will fight for you and stand with you. No vision or multivisions result in division with wandering and a lack of direction. People will perish for lack of vision. I've had so many over the years share with me the profound visions of the Lord, and this is really critical. I, I want you to catch this. Through a strong, firm spiritual foundation, clear vision comes from the Lord. He gives clear direction. And I've had so many leaders over the years share with me profound visions and dreams that they've had, and they are nothing short of supernatural. No doubt in my mind, every one of them heard the voice of God. Yet almost, listen, Mishpocha, almost every one of them were unsuccessful. And why is that? Because they didn't do what the Lord told them to do. Stick to the vision. Let me say that again. Stick to the vision. What the Lord has called you to do, the vision he gave you, don't stray from it from the right to the left. Stick to the vision. You will succeed. Which brings us to the next point. There must be a desire to succeed in the body of Messiah. This requires motivation and initiative. Everyone who leads must desire to succeed in order to bring glory and honor to Adonai. We must be motivated to obtain and achieve God's goals, which advances the kingdom of God. I shared this a couple of weeks ago. Our motivation, our goal, our desire is to expand the kingdom. Your own personal congregation or business or family will grow in the process of fulfilling God's vision for you and for the kingdom of God. We're kingdom builders. And this is not corporate ambition to climb the ladder of success for self-glory or worldly goals. Those are improper motives. We're here to grow the kingdom of God. You want to have a desire to succeed. 
James 3, verses 13 through 16 said, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him demonstrate it by his good way of life, by actions done in the humility that grows out of wisdom. But if you harbor in your hearts bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, don't boast and attack the truth with lies. This wisdom is not the kind that comes down from above. On the contrary, it is worldly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where there are jealousy and selfish ambition, there will be disharmony in every foul practice. So we have to kingdom build. Don't compare yourself with another ministry. Don't say, geez, I'm jealous. I wish we were like that ministry or like this ministry over here. God has many parts of the body, but they all comprise the entire body. Stick to the vision. Do what God has called you to do, but do so with a spirit of success, with initiative and motivation. God will give you the vision, but he's given us the ability and the power to carry it out. We must do it. We must have a desire to succeed for God's kingdom and glory. These are proper motivations. A clear vision goes hand in hand with this motivation to achieve God's plans and desire. And listen, as a leader, you have to be a self-starter. Listen, no one makes me get up at six or seven o'clock in the morning. I want to do this. No one forces me to get up in the morning and do my daily devotions. I spend an hour with God every morning. You have to be a self-starter. You have to have initiative. If you have to wait to be told what to do, you're not ready for leadership. Let me say that again. If you have to wait to be told what to do, you're not ready for leadership. Many have a good aim in life, but they don't know when to pull the trigger. You've got to have both good aim and know when to pull the trigger. No procrastination, no waiting for the perfect conditions. I even hear this. Some people say, well, you know, we're waiting to have the perfect conditions to have a child. That will never happen. You never have enough money. You never have a big enough house. But you have to know the spiritual epochs of time you're in. And when that opportunity presents itself, you got to be able to pull the trigger and do it in the lifetime of that opportunity. Opportunities don't last forever. So you have to have clear vision. You got to have wisdom. You got to understand what it is you're here to do so that when the opportunities present themselves, you can pull the trigger and move into what God wants you to do. There's no room for complacency. Come on, there's no room for complacency. Romans 15, verses 18 through 20. For I will dare not speak of anything except what the Messiah has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by my words and deeds. You want to talk about someone who's hyper-focused. Paul Shaul clearly understood he was called to the Gentiles. He said, I dare not speak of anything except what the Messiah has accomplished through me. Who accomplished this? Messiah. This is a humble spirit speaking here. To bring the Gentiles to obedience by my words and deeds. Through the power of signs and miracles, through the power of the Spirit of God, the Ruach Elohim. So from Jerusalem all the way to Ilakrim, I have fully proclaimed the good news of the Messiah. I have always made it my ambition to proclaim the good news where the Messiah was not yet known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. This is profound. Paul got it. He stuck to the mark. He knew what he was called to do, and he was always plowing fallow ground, not building on someone else's work, but building from the bottom up. He made it his ambition to proclaim the good news where the Messiah had not been known, where his words haven't been released yet. But on a side note, this also must be done in proper protocol. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Individuals cannot and will not start up ministries within the congregation without consulting with me first. 
ambitions must be realistic. Burnout is real in the kingdom of God. It is common for people, the inexperienced, to get hyper excited about something in the kingdom and pursue it intensely for several months and wind up spiritually and physically exhausted and they quit, never reaching the goal. 90% of the people quit within 10% of the goal. Isn't that a staggering statistic? 90% of people quit when they're within 10% of the goal. When we're new, we get excited. It's like, whoo, this is really something. But then they get burned out. They get exhausted and never obtain the goal. Those who are wise, good leaders pace themselves. They lead balanced lives in the midst of carrying out God's mission, his vision for you, and balancing it between family, rest, and intimacy with the Lord in prayer and reading his word. This requires great discernment and wisdom. Next, we must retain a humble and teachable spirit without pride. We must always be a teachable spirit. When I go to the Maasai conferences, I go to the classes. I almost always go to the yeshivas, whether it's the southeast, the southwest. I want to learn, grow, and expand myself. I know my weak areas. I know the strong areas. And I'm seeking to groom what God has called me to do and improve myself that I can carry out that vision and mission from Adonai. The late President Teddy Roosevelt, the evening he died, when they found him the next morning in bed, he was in the middle of reading three books. Two were open on his bedstand. One was open and shoved underneath his pillow. The last night on this earth, he was still reading, learning, and improving himself. We must always, as a leader, be in a posture of learning, of being in the process of understanding and gaining wisdom. The attitude of a mature leader is like that of Yochanan and John regarding Yeshua. In John 3, verse 30, it says, He must become more important while I become less important. The more you grow in Messiah, the more you understand that we must get less as Yeshua increases and becomes more important. Pride is the opposite of humility. Pride is something that everyone else knows you have but you. A prideful heart results in an unteachable spirit. God hates pride. He hates self-righteousness. He hates arrogance. Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of Adonai is hatred of evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil ways and duplicitous speech. Those are the words of the Lord. And why does God hate this? Because pride is a hindrance in seeking him. An idol, pride separates us from God. Psalms 10 verse 4 says, Every scheme of the wicked in his arrogance says there is no God, so it won't be held against me. This arrogant and haughty pride is in opposition to the spirit of humility that God seeks. The humble God blesses with salvation. The humble will inherit the kingdom of God. We are told to be humble, bearing with one another in love. The prideful, however, are so blinded by their arrogance and pride, they believe they have no need of God. They believe there is no God. God warns us about this, about pride, his distaste of it, and the consequences of pride. In Proverbs 16, verses 18 through 19, pride goes before destruction, arrogance before failure. Better to be humble among the poor than share the spoil with the proud. God dwells with and teaches the humble. Now remember, we want to have and retain a teachable spirit, but to do so, you must be humble. The prideful person says, I know everything. 
The humble person seeks God, God dwells with him, and God will teach him. Psalms 25, verses 8 and 9, Adonai is good and he is fair. This is why he teaches the sinners the way to live, leads the humble to do what is right, and teaches the humble to live his way. And this humbleness, humility brings wisdom. Proverbs 11, verse 2, first comes pride, then disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. And the important part of this, and this is the necessity for being filled with the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Ruach will check us if pride rises up. The Holy Spirit will check us, ask the Holy Spirit, is there anything in me that's rising up that's in opposition to the word and will of God? And the Ruach will remind you. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7 says, after all, what makes you so special? That's a pretty humbling statement, isn't it? We get a little caught up in ourselves and think we're really something. And this here says, what makes you so special? What do you have that you didn't receive as a gift? And if in fact it was a gift, why do you boast as if it weren't? All that we have is a gift from God. It all belongs to him. And all that we do is to bring glory and honor to God. We must maintain a humble and submissive attitude one to another, and especially to those who are in authority over us, and even more critically, to Adonai, the living God of Israel. Next, I want to talk about his integrity, and I've talked about this a little bit previously, but as you notice, as we keep going through these skill sets and these traits essential for leadership, they're intertwined, and we keep coming back to them because it reveals the importance and the criticality of retaining these character traits. Integrity. Integrity, by definition, is a firm adherence to a code of especially moral or artistic values. Integrity is incorruptibility, an unimpaired condition. It's soundness. It's a quality or state of being complete or undivided. Completeness. Synonyms, honesty. In the Hebrew, shlimut is integrity. It means totality and perfection. So integrity, as revealed by Shaul or Paul, in his example... His life, his ministry, he did so with great integrity. Because of his love and loyalty and dedication to Messiah, he was able to leave everything familiar to serve Adonai. And love, we're commanded to love the Lord thy God. Love isn't a feeling. Hollywood, the movie, social media has told us that that love is sweaty palms and a racing heart and dilated pupils. That's actually physical attraction. Love is a command. We choose to love. And the Lord says, you shall love the Lord your God. It doesn't mean when he's wooing you or when you're happy and when you're excited or he's answering your prayers. We love him no matter what. This is the same attitude we bring into marriages. This is the same attitude we have in the congregation. We all have faults. We all have shortcomings. But love overcomes those. Love overcomes many sins. We're commanded to love. The next in this is loyalty. Yehoshua, Joshua, Moses' servant, 40 years, he was a loyal number two to Moses. Whenever Moses went to the top of the mountain, Joshua was halfway up. Whenever Moses was in the Mishkan, the tabernacle, Joshua loyally stood at the door the entire time he was in there, 40 years. I shared last week that, that leadership is something we develop over time. You have to take the time and lay into this and create eight, the skill sets necessary, both by training, by learning, and by examples, by real world living and experiences. Loyalty is critical 40 years. This takes time. And dedication. He was dedicated to Messiah. He was able to leave everything familiar to serve the Lord. This was a classic
classically trained, today we would call Paul an orthodox rabbi. Paul said that he considered it all nonsense. He had to lay it all aside for the knowledge of Messiah. We gain profound insights to Paul through his integrity in his own statements. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 3, he says, I give thanks to God, whom, like my forebears, I worship with a clean conscience as I regularly remember you in my prayers night and day. Acts 24 verse 16, it says, Indeed, it is because of this that I make a point of always having a clear conscience in the sight of both God and man. What does this mean by a clear conscience? That he's free from condemnation. He's free from sin. Paul said that salvation is a process that he had to crucify his flesh every day. God's not looking for perfection. He's looking for humility. He's looking for a person who will submit themselves, deny the flesh, as Paul said, crucifying it every day. Why? So that he could worship with a clean conscience, that he had a clear conscience in the sight of both God and man. That's integrity. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 4, and it matters very little to me how I'm evaluated by you or by any human court. I love it. Paul said in Galatians, he's not a man pleaser. He's re-edifying this here. It matters very little to me how I'm evaluated by you or by any human court. In fact, he said, I don't even evaluate myself. I'm not aware of anything against me, but this does not make me innocent. The one who is evaluating me is the Lord. So he knows in humility, he's not perfect. He says, this doesn't make him innocent, but the one who is evaluating him is Adonai himself. Listen, true integrity is what you do when you believe no one's watching. True integrity is what you do when you believe no one is watching. Adonai, the real Hakodesh, is always watching. If you've received Yeshua and you've received the Holy Spirit, they both reside in you. And think about this. Everything you say and do and see, the real Hakodesh also hears, watches, and sees. Our intimacy with Adonai allows for a constant evaluation by both he and the Ruach HaKodesh because we desire clean hands and a pure heart in order to minister to Adonai. That's what's required. Next, I want to talk about is wisdom. Proverbs 4, verses 7 through 9 says, The beginning of wisdom is get wisdom. This is great. The beginning of wisdom is get wisdom. And along with all you're getting, get insight. Verse 8 says, cherish her, and she will exalt you. Embrace her, and she will bring you honor. She will give your head a garland of grace, bestow on you a crown of glory. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A common heir is thinking you either have wisdom or you don't. The word says wisdom is available to anyone who asks for it. According to Webster's, wisdom is the ability to discern inner qualities and relationship. It's insight, it's good sense, it's judgment, it's knowledge. It's a wise attitude, belief, or course of actions. The teaching of the ancient wise men to come to wisdom in any manner, we must follow through with specific things. Wisdom requires that you accumulate facts, which is incredibly hard to do. Study the area of issue that you're dealing with. Spiritual map, as I said earlier, the area you're in. Seek advice from the locals that are knowledgeable in this area and godly individuals who are experienced in that area of concern accumulate facts. Next is to grow in experience. Wisdom is something we grow into. This is why loyalty is so critical. You can't comprehend how much Joshua, Yehoshua learned in those 40 years by watching 
his master by watching Moses, to see how Moshe reacted to certain situations, to see Moshe fall and his heirs. Listen, wisdom comes through time. We grow into it. Bouncing from place to place inhibits wisdom. Wisdom is developed through time and experience in serving Adonai. This is why we have so many congregation hoppers today. And what do I mean by that? 95% of congregational growth is someone leaving another congregation going to a new congregation. But this bouncing around place to place inhibits development of wisdom. Wisdom is developed through time and experience. And we have to develop understanding. Facts and experience combined with insight and reflection gives understanding. Wisdom doesn't come with experience alone. People learn that when they take time to consider, to analyze, to look through the situation that they've been through and their part in it, both good and bad, they learn from this. Always when you have a fight, when you have a personnel issue, there's always two people involved, you and that other person. So you always have to learn through these experiences what your part of the situation was, understand what their side was, both good and bad, and you learn this is how you gain wisdom. The last one I want to talk about today is establishing a balanced life. So many people I have met over the years that have sacrificed their families on the altar of ministry. Success before Adonai is measured in the ability of us to steward and balance our lives. Everything the Lord gives you under your charge, whether it be a congregation, family, finances, health, businesses, we all have to have a balance between them all. Many believers err in thinking that their calling is separated from their daily life. It's not. Your entire life is a reflection of the kingdom of God. It's always difficult to read of fallen leaders within the body from divorce and sexual misconduct and bad children and financial ruin. These people, they achieved great things in their area of calling, but they didn't lead a balanced life and neglected vital, profound areas in their lives. Your life must be prioritized, giving attention to every area. It's God, your marriage, your family, your ministry. You see, there's an order to this. But many times people become workaholics and they place what they're called to do above everything else and wreak havoc in the rest of the areas of their lives. Titus 1, verses 6 through 16 says, A leader must be blameless, husband to one wife, with believing children who do not have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. For an overseer or someone entrusted with God's affairs, he must be blameless. He must not be self-willed or quick-tempered. He must not drink excessively, get into fights, or be greedy for dishonest gain. On the contrary, he must be hospitable, devoted to good, sober-mindedness, upright, holiness, and self-control. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message that agrees with the doctrine so that by his sound teaching, he'll be able to exhort and encourage and also to refute those who speak against it. So you notice here what we're talking about, what we're seeing here in verse 8 is a balanced life. they got to be hospitable, devoted to good, sober-minded, upright, holy, and self-controlled. they got to have a strong, solid marriage. They must hold firmly to the trustworthy message that agrees with the doctrine in verse 9 so that by his sound teaching, he'll be able to exhort and encourage and to refute those who speak out against it. Verse 10, for there are many, especially from the circumcised faction, who are rebellious, who deludes people's mind with their worthless and misleading talk. They must be silenced because they're upsetting entire households by teaching what they have no business teaching and doing it for the sake of dishonest gain. 
it's hard to believe that this was written some 1850 years ago because this is dealing and speaking directly to our world today. There are many who are rebellious, who deludes people's minds with worthless and misleading talk. It's everywhere. I hear so much religion, so much doctrine that doesn't reconcile to Scripture. They must be silenced because they're upsetting entire households, verse 11, by teaching what they have no business teaching and doing it for the sake of dishonest gain. Verse 12 said, even one of the Cretans' own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. And it's true. For this reason, you must be severe when you rebuke those who have followed this false teaching so that they will come to be sound in their trust and no longer pay attention to Judaistic myths or to the commands of people who reject the truth. To all who are themselves pure, everything is pure. But to those who are defiled or without trust, nothing is pure. Even their minds and consciences have been defiled. They claim to know God, but with their actions, they deny him. They are detestable and disobedient. They have proven themselves unfit to do anything good. As we just read, there must be a balance in the word, not holding to extreme false doctrines or religious philosophies. And there must be a commitment to the whole counsel of God, to his word, to the teachings of Yeshua, to the Holy Spirit. Callings will give some special areas of interest. Some are called to be evangelists. Some are called to worship leaders and psalmists. Some are called to youth and children's ministry. Because of the specialized calling, some tend to think that their calling is more important than others. This is a divisive attitude that makes us judgmental of others and brings destruction to the congregation. The body of Messiah is a multifaceted and diverse in callings. And as important as your area or calling is, it's only one part of what Adonai is doing through the entire body. We are all one in Messiah, and we must maintain that attitude and posture with a balanced life to bring glory to the kingdom of God. Mishpokah, we got many points to go through. I hope the Lord blesses you and keeps you, and tune in next week as we continue on these essential skill sets and traits of a leader. Shalom. Shalom.